Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day, and uh, we thank you for your word. And um, I just want to pray for the marriages in this room uh, that uh, we we would have strong marriages, and uh, that our our marriages would be uh, an example uh, to the people around us, and they'd be encouraged by what they see in us. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I read about uh, a man who was getting uh, his hair cut before he was taking a trip uh, to Rome, and he went to the barber, and the barber said, so where are you going? He said, I'm going to Rome. And the guy said, why on earth would you go there? It is so crowded, and it's dirty. You're crazy to go to Rome. What, 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 why would you do that? He said, how are you getting there? And I said, well, I got a, a flight through United. And he's like, oh, United. It is the worst flight. It's absolutely terrible. Why would you take United? He said, where, where are you staying when you get there? He said, oh, we're staying to the International Marriott. He's like, oh. That is the worst hotel in Rome. Why would you ever stay at the International Marriott? They're overpriced. The service is, is terrible. He said, what are you going to do when you get there? He said, well, we're going to go to the Vatican, and you know, we're kind of hoping to, to see the Pope. He said, oh, my goodness. You're hoping to see the Pope? You know how busy the Pope is? Everybody wants to see the Pope. Nobody sees, sees the Pope. He said, man, good luck on this trip of yours. You're going to need it. And uh, about a month later, the man came in to get his hair cut again, and the barber said, how'd it go? And he said, it was a great, great uh, trip. We, we went to United and we checked in and they, they put us on one of their brand new state-of-the-art planes. And because they were overbooked, they bumped us up to first class. It was incredible. So the International Marriott had just done like millions and millions of dollars in renovation. They also were overbooked. So they put us into their presidential suite without any cost to us. And he said, yeah, I'm sure it went okay, but I bet you didn't get to see the Pope. He said, well, it's funny that you mentioned that, that, that we went to the Vatican and we were doing a tour and just our particular tour, the Pope had decided that he wanted to spend some time with people touring the Vatican. So we got ushered into a side room and I, I saw the Pope and I kind of got down uh, on one knee and, um, and then, then he said something really amazing to me. The guy said, what did he say? He said, where'd you get that terrible haircut? Um, <laughs> right, so I, I don't know about you, um, going to Rome is actually like a bucket list thing for me. Um, I, I would absolutely uh, love, love to go to Rome someday, and um, we're, we're not going to do that anytime soon, um, uh, but I would, I would love to do it. But today, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to do in the sermon today. Is I'm going to take you along. It's called the Roman Road, and, and, and this series is called The Gospel Marriage, and if we're going to have the marriages that God created us to have, I believe a good marriage starts with the good news. And so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel. We're going to talk about the good news. And we're going to start to apply that to our, our marriages. We're going to do that over the next six weeks. But one of the best descriptions I've ever seen of, of the gospel of good news is it's called the Roman Road. And it takes a series of passages from the book of Romans and, and, and it just kind of lays them one on top of another so that we can understand what this gospel is and what this good news is. And then I want to show you as the sermon unfolds why this gospel will impact your relationship with your spouse so much. So let's, uh, let's start in Romans 3.23, all right? Uh, here's our first stop on the Roman road. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of us think that we are fairly morally upright people. And the reason that we do that is that most of us play this kind of comparison game with others, that we compare the best of what we know about us to the worst that we know about them, 
right? And we all do this. And so we end up feeling moral, moral because of it, because uh, we, we, we compare what's bad about them to what's good about us. They cheated on their wife. I would never, would never do that. I feel morally superior. Um, they, they got fired for stealing from their company. I would never do that. I feel morally superior. Did you see the way they yelled at their children in the grocery store? I would never do that. And, and we just do that comparison game before. And I really believe that we live in a culture right now that moral outrage is like so high right now because we are so committed to feeling moral as a, as a culture, that we are desperate to feel moral. And so anytime a news story breaks, you see this, the, the height of moral outrage because morality is so important. And the truth is the Bible says that when it comes to our morality, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to each other. We should be comparing ourselves to God, right? The passage of scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of what? Of Joe Bob, your neighbor? No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And so we're to be comparing ourselves to God. So let's do that just for a minute. What we know about God is that he is holy and righteous and and perfect. And when I compare myself to him, not to my neighbor or not to you, and you don't compare yourself to me, when we compare ourselves to God, we begin to see that what the, the first stop in the Roman road is true, that we really are sinners, that I look back all the time over the course of a day, it's like, man, I shouldn't have said that that way. I shouldn't have done that that way. I should have made that, that decision. When I compare myself to the glory of God, I, I realize that I am a sinner. This is exactly what happened to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Is he had a dream or a vision of God. One time he saw God in a dream. And I wanted to show you what his conclusion was, right? Because there's not very many of these stories in the Bible where somebody kind of sees this image of God. And let me show you what happened. It said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I saw God highly Uh, high and exalted, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the uh, doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's his conclusion, verse 5. Woe to me, I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah realized, man, I am a sinner. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And the second second stop on the Romans road to salvation is Romans 6.23, right? So the first stop is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next step is, and the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, that life is found in God. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God is leading us to life. And we understand in our culture, we understand the cost of wrongdoing, the cost of sin. We live in a culture where when somebody breaks the law, uh, they are given a fine or worse yet, they go to prison. We, we, we get this even on a more personal level where a lie costs us a friendship, an affair costs us our marriage. When the Bible says the, the, the wages of sin is death, it is saying that what sin costs us is life with God because God is leading us to life. And so sin costs us that life with God in this night, life and in the next. And, and this is seen in a lot of places in the Bible. The place that's seen most clearly is the first story ever where God creates a garden and he creates a man and woman to live in that garden with him. God's gonna commune with his people and Adam and Eve sinned. They did the wrong thing. They ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And in one of the saddest scenes in the Bible, they have to leave the garden. They have to leave life with God. They have to leave all of that beauty. This is what sin costs us. 
It costs us life. The life we were created to have in this life and in the next. And then the third stop on the Roman road is, it starts with this word. I love this word, but. The wages of sin is death, but, the verse continues, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death, but, but God, but God, God made a way. And this is the, if you want to impress people, this is the theological position. It's called substitutionary atonement. And what it teaches in its most simple form is that the wages of sin is death and Jesus substituted himself for us on the cross that we just got through celebrating Holy Week. Jesus substituted himself and he died for us so that we didn't, don't have to, so that we can find life in God, substitutionary atonement. And we know from the gospels, we know what Jesus went through to achieve this. That one of the things that happened to Jesus before the cross is he was whipped. And we know from history that a lot of people died uh, before they even went to a cross from this whipping. They would take the whip and they would kind of dip it in tar, tar and then uh, they, they would uh, roll it around in bone and glass. And they, they, they whip you, and there was a law about how often you could do it. 40 lashes minus one. That if you, if you were a, a Roman soldier and you whipped somebody more than 39 times, you could be killed for that because that whip would kind of go around them and literally pull the skin from the body. And, and there are actual historical accounts of people dying as the result of their insides literally falling out of their body. That their, their sin had been kind of so ripped apart that, that, that they, they literally died from that. And then after that, we see Jesus mocked and spit upon and hit with closed fists. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They crucified him where he eventually died. And he went through all of that. He gave his blood. He died so we could find life. He died so we could find life, life in God, and that we could come back to him and know him and worship him. We could go back, uh, spiritually speaking, to the, to the garden and have the relationship with him we were created to have. And Jesus paid a great price to make sure that happens. Romans 10, 9, the next stop says, and if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will find this life the next stop is confession and belief in Jesus. So in other places the Bible talk about this, approaching Jesus with faith or being baptized in his name. And it all teaches the same thing, that salvation comes from him. That when I realize I am a sinner and the wages of sin is death, the place I am pushed to, the place I am drawn to is the work of, of Jesus, that where, where he saves me and he brings me to life. And we, we believe as Americans, uh, just this is the way we think as a culture, that belief is primarily like a, a cognitive thing. So like if you were, uh, if, if there was a chair sitting up here in the front row and uh, I said, go ahead and have a seat in that chair. I, and I said, do you, do you believe that chair can hold you? You say, yeah, I believe that chair can hold me. Have a seat. Uh, I'm not gonna sit in that chair. The first century would say, you don't believe, right? Because belief is accompanied by confidence, and so the Bible would say, man, the Bible would encourage you to have a confidence in Jesus, to have your confidence in God who is leading you to life and who wants to save you and, and bring you to, to, to life. And um, it's not just a cognitive thing. It is a, it is a confidence. 
It is a confidence in our Lord and Savior. Let me show you a few other passages from Romans about the result of what Jesus did. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace with God is possible. Romans 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned. In Romans 8.38-39, and I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this is a series about what happens in our relationships when we internalize this message. When we become a people that love this message, that we love his grace, we love his love, we love, we, we, are, we, we, we see that, we, we give our commitment to Jesus, a people who appreciate what he has done, the sacrifice he made, that, that it becomes the declaration of our lives. And if you're married, you understand this. Because at some point you went on some awkward date with, with your spouse years and years ago where you tried to have a little bit of small talk and you realized we might have some things in common and you went on a second date and, and a third date and you were like, this person could be the one. And at some point you thought in your mind, at some point you crossed the line and said, I love them. I, I, I absolutely love them. Our culture would say, you fell in love which is not my favorite phrase, right? Makes it sound like an accident, right? I kind of stumbled into it. Yeah, I, I, I fell in love. But what the writer of the Gospels would say, what happens when you fall in love with the Gospel? What happens when you fall in love with Jesus? When you fall in love with his sacrifice? When you fall in love with his grace? I love what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica. He said, we know, brothers and sisters, love by God that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this, deep conviction. Deep conviction. So what happens when this gospel I proclaim to you moves from, yeah, I believe that, to deep conviction, to, to love, to appreciation, to the declaration of our lives. What happens is every relationship is changed. When, it, when, it, when, we, when we make that move from I get this to this is the conviction of my life, this is the conviction of my heart and my mind, it affects every relationship that we have, and yes, it certainly affects our, our, our marriages. Can I give you some examples? Embedded in the message I just proclaimed to you are some ideas that we're going to be kind of unfolding over the next five or six weeks. Uh, embedded in this gospel are these ideas that are absolutely transformational to marriage. Let me show you a couple of them. Love. Embedded into this gospel teaching is the idea that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that he loves you enough to go to the cross and die for you. And this is not just like an emotional kind of cultural feeling that Jesus has. It is a love that demanded that he take action. Uh, that to save us and rescue us and reconnect us to our Heavenly Father. And here's the question of this series, is what if this type of Jesus love found its way into to marriage? Not just I'm feeling weak in the knees, not just I feel this emotional type of love for you. What if a self-sacrifice, Jesus type of love found its way into your marriage? It would change everything. It would change everything. Another thing is service. 
deeply embedded into this gospel is what Jesus said, that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That part of this gospel message that that we wanna move from our heads to our hearts and our minds, part of this is the idea that, uh, that, that Jesus came to serve. And so what if this idea of service found its way into our marriage? It would change them. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I was, I'm, I'm talking to the, to, to the pre-marriage couple. I say, hey, all right, we've been studying the Bible. Or whatever. I'm like, look at me. Look at me for a minute. I said, what I am about to say to you is absolutely the key to a happy marriage. All right? I said, did you hear what I said? Because sometimes they tune out. They're, they're like so in love they can't even listen to me. <laughs> they're, they're looking at each other. And I'm going, no, no, stop looking at each other. Look at me, right? Because I am about to give you the key, right? Do you want the key? Yeah, we want the key. Are you sure you want the key? Yeah, we want the key, right? I'm gonna give you the key. Find out what makes your spouse happy and serve them by doing that. Like, wow, sensei, right? <laughs> it's, so, it's so deep, right? Find out what makes them happy and then find out what doesn't make them happy and serve them by not doing that. It is so simple, but you know how many people don't do it? It is so simple, but it is not easy. When this idea of the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, when this idea of service finds its way into your marriage, when this moves just from our belief system to our hearts, it absolutely changes everything. Another one is generosity. Embedded in the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave. That God so loved the world that he was generous. And we typically think of generosity as a, as a fiscal or financial attribute. And, and, and it certainly is. But there can be a relational component to this as well. Paul gets into this. Um, and, and I think generosity flows from a place of, I don't have to do this. But for the good of the relationship, I'm going to that I don't have to do, that's what generosity is. That, that if it's something that you have to do, it's called obedience, right? Your, your have to do's are obedience. Generosity is defined as I don't have to, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to do it. So you sit down on the couch and you got the remote control first, which means you are entitled to it. This is the law of marriage, <laughs> right? You sat down, you got it first. You, you're, you've got, you're entitled to it generosity is you turning to your spouse and saying, what would you like to watch? Right? You don't have to do that. You've got, you've got that remote control dead to right, right? You, you don't have to do that. Generosity is what do, you want to, what do you want to watch? It is your turn to pick out dinner. This has been documented. It's your turn. Generosity is you turning to your spouse and saying, what would you like to have for dinner? Generosity is you coming home and watching the kids when you get home because your spouse has been home alone with them all day and, and is literally pulling their hair out. And generosity is you coming home and saying, I want to give you some alone time. I'm, I'm choosing to be generous. And when this sense of generosity finds its way into our relationships, it changes everything. And the last one is, this, this last one, I'm telling you, it's not like super fun or... Um, uh, super, uh, you know, piz- there's not a bunch of pizzazz with it, but the last one is endurance and perseverance. And you'll never find a, 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 a you'll, you'll never find like a, a Valentine's Day card with this sentiment on it. You know, to the love of my life, I am enduring you. 
right? You, you'll, 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 never, you'll, you'll never do that. If you ever do, you're, you're probably not going to be married very long. But, 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 but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you talk to people that have been married forever, you talk to people that have been married 25 or 30 years, this is a sentiment that they will come up with. It will not be, we were always doe-eyed for each other, please. Right? They've been waking up next to that person for 30 years. They, they've seen them first thing in the morning with, with breath before brushing teeth and all that. They would not, we, we've always been doughy-eyed. They, they won't say that. They won't say we've always been weak in the knees. They will say there were times in our marriage where we just refused to give up. Do not undervalue this attribute of just refusing to give up. Don't undervalue it. It, it is a key component to, to marriage, and it's, it's in the gospel that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now, hopefully your marriage is not described as the cross, right? So, so we're going to have to apply that, <laughs> you know. But for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He persevered. He refused to give up for us and the romance is not always going to be alive. You will not always be weak in the knees. But if you can, if this mar- if this attribute finds its way into your marriage, it is absolutely transformational. I'm telling you, find somebody who's been married 25 or more years, and they'll they'll identify this after a couple other things. They'll identify this as why we've been married for 50 years. We just refuse to give up. We just refuse to give up. It's not that we didn't have hard times or difficult times. We just refuse to give up. And I'm telling you, these ideas will change and transform your relationships. And they are embedded in the gospel. This is why, and, and you see little verses about it. Let no debt remain outstanding, but the continuing debt to love one another. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see all of these passages of scripture where our relationships are tied to the gospel. And so we're gonna talk about each of these ideas uh, every week of this series. We're gonna talk about love and endurance and service and all this stuff. We're gonna flesh all of this out because these ideas are embedded in the good news. And if we can fall in love with the gospel of good news, I believe that the good news will find its way in our marriage. And this is why I say a great marriage starts with the good news. I really believe it. A good marriage starts with the good news. That we fall in love with the gospel. We fall in love with what Jesus has done. And those attributes of the gospel begin to find its way into every relationship that we have. And so your homework this week is, if you're having some problems, it's not to go out and like fix your entire marriage or whatever. This week, I want to ask you to begin to fall back in love with the gospel of good news. Read the last few chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Listen to music that that is gospel-centered. Think about the gospel. Have it be the focus of your prayers. And as we get ready to close, I want to show you a couple more verses. Just, again, just kind of getting this in our heart, getting this more embedded in our mind. Here's what Paul says in other places other than Romans. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst." 
This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people and, na- and, and, and nation. Let this be not just your belief. Let's have this be our core conviction of what Christ has accomplished. Let it be your core conviction and watch these attributes begin to come into your relationships and into your marriage. I wanna share with you a prayer I jotted down and this is my prayer for you and I'm gonna read it to you. We're gonna put it on the screen. I'm gonna read it to you and if this sounds like something you want for your marriage, I'm gonna have, we're gonna read it a second time together. But let me read it to you first. God, let me love my spouse the way you have loved me. Let me show generosity the way you have shown generosity. Let me serve the way Jesus served. Let this gospel invade our home and our marriage today. And if that resounds with you, if that's what you want for for your life and, and for your marriage, I'm just gonna ask you out loud to read this with me. God, let me love my spouse the way you have loved me. Let me show generosity the way you have shown generosity. Let me serve the way Jesus served. Let this gospel invade our home and our marriage today. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we're going to spend some time on marriage, um, you know where my heart is on this. I just want to see uh, marriage strengthened. And uh, I know that there's divorced people here and single people and people that are single and looking and people that are single and never want to be married again. Um, And I just pray that you would help them uh, to apply this message however you want to see it applied and that they wouldn't feel uh, indicted or judged, but that they'd receive these messages with joy for whatever relationship you have in store for them. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for marriage. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand? We're going to sing a song together. Um, And let's sing this with deep conviction. Uh, As we sing together, if you have a prayer request or prayer need, you come forward.